You're listening to Tiny Home Tours, a podcast that celebrates all things tiny living. We're your hosts, Allison, Chris, and Loren. Join us as we sit down with nomads and tiny home dwellers to discover why they went tiny, the lessons they've learned, and inspire you to take the leap. This episode is brought to you by the Tiny Home Tours newsletter. Would you enjoy a weekly newsletter that shares all things tiny? Every Friday, we share sneak peeks of full upcoming tour videos, blog posts, and new podcast episodes. Join with the link below or by visiting tinyhometours.com. What's working on over there? Just getting the description ready for the video so I can send it in. What video is that? This is the one from camp a few days ago. Are you ready? Do you want me to pause? That's the start of the podcast. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, okay. Talking about brand collabs. Mm Mm-hmm. And everything else, huh? Then we'll back up a little bit. So, it's Chris with Tiny Home Tours and Off-Grid Schooling Podcast. Today we have Linnea. She's been digital nomad for a little bit, playing the social media game. Mm Mm-hmm. Living the dream as an influencer. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so, huh? So... Throughout the last couple of days, you've been working on a video for a brand collab. We'll actually get to that later. We'll start with just a little bit about how and why you get on the road, and then we're going to go into a deep dive into the social side, my experience with it, your experience with it, mm-hmm. and we've talked about it before. We have fundamentally different strategies when going into this because there's no right way or wrong way, in my personal opinion, and I assume you probably think the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, start with how you got into the road life and then how social media first came about with, with that plan. Okay. <sighs> road life. Okay. So when I was in college, well, I didn't know that it was ever a thing or a possibility. And in college I found an account and the, it was this awesome woman living in the middle of nowhere with her dogs. Who's that? Brianna Medea. Okay. Do you know her? No. Okay. She's a badass. She lives in the middle of the desert right now in an RV, I think, but she had a big orange bus, and I saw her when I was in school, when I was in college, I was like, man, this is what I want to do, and I knew that I always wanted to work remotely. I didn't want a nine-to-five. That was never going to be in my my life, and so that really just stuck with me, and then every step that I made from there just kind of brought me closer to what I wanted as far as a lifestyle. And there was an opportunity that that opened up a few years ago, jumped on it, bought the van, and just went all in. So how did social media come about then? Was it you saw what she was doing, posting online, you're like, oh, I want to do that too? Or how did the YouTube, Instagram, TikTok game start for you? Well... So that's interesting because that was never in my plan. I never wanted to be an influencer. I didn't really want to do social media. Hashtag influencer. (sighs) Yeah. Content creator. Influencer. It's all the same. Yeah. But, But really what started it was my business that I started before the van stuff. So kind of circling back to me always wanting to kind of work for myself, not have a nine to five. I wanted my own freedom to travel and make my own schedule. So I started an online fitness and nutrition business and I hired a business coach and spent a lot of money on him. And I think when you invest a lot of money, 
hard-earned money. You, you work your ass off to make it worth it. And the way that he coached people like me, I was selling myself, essentially, like who I was as a person on social media to gain clients. And it was really, really hard with that business because I was, I mean, I had maybe a thousand followers on Instagram and he was like, you have to post every day. Has to be something really like deep about yourself. You're not selling a product. You're literally selling who you are as a coach. And that's how people are going to fall in love with you and buy your product essentially. So that kind of like broke me into the whole thing and not worrying about what people thought about what I was doing or what I was posting, the consistency of it, all of that. So when I got the van, I, I guess I started with, technically I started with YouTube. I was documenting a little bit on Instagram, but I was still doing my business and focusing on getting clients from, from that platform. But as I was doing the build, so I did the build by myself and that was a, a whole new experience for me. And so I couldn't really find great resources on YouTube. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do once a week, do project by project, throw something up on YouTube and that'll be that. And I was still going to do my clients on the side. Never intended for that to gain traction, blow up ever. I was just going to do that on the road, you know, have my clients and travel. And then that gained a lot of traction as well as with TikTok. So <clears throat> there's a piece there that I don't quite understand. What? Um, you like, why did you post to YouTube? I guess is why I'm confused was because nobody, nobody had either. it out there. <laughs> no, I don't know why I did either. I, I don't know. It was just a decision I made one day. I was like looking at all these YouTube videos and there wasn't a lot of value as far as builds, especially females building and being really thorough with what they were doing. And so I was like, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to try it out, throw my stuff up on YouTube and we'll see what happens. So let me ask a follow-up question to that. Was it that you saw a niche that wasn't there or did you see it more as another, like a additional lead gen to your business? I think some lead gen and I think just a challenge. It was something new. I thought maybe I could do it better than other people and I wanted to try it out. So going back to the the first videos. So the first videos you posted was actually the build videos. Yeah. Which I was just talking with some fellow nomads before we started this podcast and I was sharing with them like get on Facebook. And they were saying how their most popular video is like one of the first videos they did, which was a demolition video where he just Mm -hmm. talked for 30 seconds, not even 30 seconds, five seconds. Hey, I'm going to be taking apart the bus. This is step one. Mm -hmm. Put his phone up on the rear view mirror, time lapsed it. That's the video. It's like their fourth watch video and they've been doing YouTube for like three years. Right. So that's something Mm -hmm. to consider, at least in my opinion, for potential nomads, people wanting to get on the road because it gives you such a good beginning point because it's totally niche down to exactly what you're doing everybody can go out there and kayak and hike and show the like people have done that where your build is totally unique and like i told you and like i told them like if you add up all the views from the time lapse for me building this it's about Mm -hmm. 30 million views across facebook instagram 
and YouTube, which mm-hmm. just gives you a massive benefit. So when you say it blew up, like what exactly do you mean by that? Is that like you were getting like 200 subscribers a day, 500 subscribers a day, or was it views? Like what, what does blowing up mean to you and how, how did that look like? Okay. Two things. First of all, kind of t- going back to what you said about their demolition video. I think that I think, I think people love to watch any progress. Like I found that across all platforms with literally anything. It could be a cooking video or a build video or whatever. Like I think any progress is what people want to watch. Mm-hmm. And those always do better than just vlog videos or like you said, hiking and whatever. I think that was a big thing that <clears throat> helped as far as the blowing up aspect. So when I started posting my videos, it was a very consistent increase in in views and in subscribers but then when i decided to throw some of my stuff over on tiktok that's what blew up so tiktok actually fed into youtube 100 percent. so when did you get on tiktok like if you could just a rough estimate year and month and what exactly were you posting there because you know i'm a huge fanboy do whatever gary v says and he always says multi multi-use content, mm-hmm. you know, using one piece, posted it on Facebook, posted it on Instagram, you know, making it vertical. So what did that actually look like for you in terms of moving your content from YouTube, which is horizontal? Yeah. And then you moved it to vertical TikTok. Like, what did that look like for you? <laughs> so I started doing TikTok maybe a month after I um, started the build. And I hated TikTok. I thought it was the stupidest thing. But I have a good friend, Natalie. She's like a mini Gary V. And she was helping me with some of my business stuff. Um, I don't remember what we were working on. But essentially, I was going to start hiring out another trainer, an assistant, whatever. She was helping me with a lot of the back-end stuff with my business. And then she was like, you have to get on TikTok. Like, you have to. Just when? Put when, your... when was that? Well, that would have been May, May of three years ago. So you got in early. Yeah. Gary V at it again. (laughs) Yeah. And my videos were, so the one that went viral, I didn't change it. It stayed in horizontal. What happened was I would, I would put a few um, videos up of like, Hey, here's, um, Here's a van build update. These are the, the things I did today. Bye. Super simple. And then they started the creator fund. And you had to get 10,000 followers and something else. And I one evening I got it. I got accepted to the creator fund. And I went on Premiere. And I just took a bunch of footage from my build. And smushed it together. Did a really simple voiceover. 67 million views. Really? Yeah. It's a lot. So how many followers do you have on TikTok? 2.3 million, I think. Really? Mm-hmm. TikTok official? No. Well, I, I disagree. I don't think so. Because I think that <clears throat> all of these platforms hold very different weight. So I have a few million TikTok followers, sure. But people don't notice me from TikTok. I mean, sometimes they do. But YouTube holds so much more weight. And yeah. I only have 70,000 subs. Only? 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think TikTok can be great for pushing people to other platforms that as of right now hold more weight. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I had no idea you had that many TikTok followers. Like, I don't... Like, we, we have our own account. We were doing really well for a while, and we mm-hmm. got put in TikTok jail. That happened to me as well. And that's why I don't really care anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, for those that don't know, listening to the podcast, TikTok jail is when the algorithm just decides it doesn't like you. And no matter how much work, no matter what you put in after it, you're pretty yeah. much dead in the water for mm-hmm. whatever reason. But going back to the origin of everything so you got traction on tiktok which led to lead gen over to youtube where you're actually seeing the i'm guessing the connection the the better roi or is it better community or like what what are you seeing over there on youtube um i think better community as in people are sticking around to really learn who you are i think that tiktok you know you have a 60 second video of something funny and that's what does well you know so I think that the community on YouTube is here because of who I am as a person not just because they like to see what I'm doing you know mm-hmm. yeah so, and brands too they prefer YouTube right now yeah well I mean they, they see the ROI too like you people actually have a personal connection on YouTube yeah. it's long form people are very creative where TikTok you know you have the 60 seconds to three minutes to Mm -hmm. get your point out there. And typically people will go to TikTok just for the quick swipe. So they don't like a three minute video is like an hour and a half long video on YouTube equivalent, you know, and people go to certain platforms of different things like TikTok's quick Instagram's looking at photos, maybe some reels, YouTube's to learn Facebook's to catch up with people. Mm -hmm. So they're really going to those platforms for for particular things. Would would you say, this is a selfish question. Would you say, overall value i'm not even talking monetarily just you as a person as a brand it's essentially what what you are like you're the brand do you hold more value in the 2.3 on tiktok or the 70,000 on youtube youtube 100 percent. i don't i don't care about tiktok at all yeah same i think it's fun here. like it's fun and and tiktok is much less serious i mean everybody on there they're just making fun of themselves and goofing off at least that's what my for you page is <laughs> and so that's what i like to do on there and it, it can be pretty hard to try to take tiktoks and, and bring that same energy to different platforms because people don't really appreciate it or they don't get it or they think it's really offensive or whatever so yeah tiktok's just this little fun thing but as far as value yeah youtube is where it's at in my experience yeah i mean that that all makes sense and you know, we're we're not necessarily getting into the the nomad life, like you know what it's like being a solo female traveler on the road, because you get asked that all the time. You can find that everywhere. <laughs> yeah. But getting more down into the brass tacks of like the social side of things, like at the beginning of this, like you're talking about the the brand deal that you're doing. What's that like? What's what's the realities of being a brand, and then? having companies come to you mm-hmm. and say, we're going to give you X amount of thousand dollars to promote this product. Are you of the mindset of, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll really dive into the weeds here. Like what's your thought process in terms of turning down money mm-hmm. 
verse being true to to yourself because you know the storybook rose-colored glasses is like oh take 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 the money if somebody offers me five thousand dollars to mention something i'm gonna do it right yeah. what's that thought process like for you it's it's not a thought process as far hmm. if i have any negative gut feeling regardless of the amount of of money i will never take it ever i can't do that what so, if it's what if it's like ten thousand dollars for a no electronics game no. Like League, League of no. Legends. <laughs> Maybe League of Legends. <laughs> I really like League of Legends. No, well, then I, there, there you go. Let's, let's use that. Well, like if, if, if they offered you, we're, we're talking $5,000 <laughs> cash yeah. money transferred to your bank account, no cut out. And they're no, like. No, I wouldn't. So what what is it? Something that will benefit people? I mean. Yeah. Ma- either ma- something that I use every day, something that will benefit people, something that like I really truly believe in if the people are great if working with the company is is incredible i'll continue to work with them but i've only i I'm, i mean the brands that i've worked with it's just a handful of them because i really like them and then i want to continue working with just them does that make sense it does make sense okay why are you looking at me like that i was just letting you okay. go further if you wanted to um yeah how is how is that actually working out though like because with, with our brands, we get a bunch of emails. Like, I got three mm-hmm. emails today about flashlights. Right. You know, like, how many leads are coming in and how many do you turn down? Like, is is it a decent amount? Because some people watching this or listening to this might be just the beginning and they need that $3,000 to get tires because they can't travel without their tires. Mm-hmm. So how many leads are coming in from that and which platforms? Is it YouTube? Is it TikTok? Is it Instagram? Like, how are these brands reaching out to you? I would say 98% of them email. I mean, I have my business email up, and most of them are coming through probably YouTube. But you don't have separate emails for, they when, like, for, for example, we have an email for YouTube. No. We have an email for Facebook. It's just all together. I just have one business email. If you had to guess, how many come in per week? And we're, we're talking from the small stuff, hey, we're going to give yeah. you a free fr- flashlight to, say, Audible being like, hey, we, we love your channel. I would say, so I, I would say on average three a day. I would say on average three a day. And how many are you currently working with? Three. Three? Mm-hmm. So three a day, and there's only been three that made the cut. Yeah. Any particular reason for that other than that, that gut feeling? Like you just have that gut feeling? Gut or? feeling, knowing my value. And, um, and just wanting to stay really true to my audience too. They're going to know that like my audience knows me well, because I do, I do share a lot of who I am on the internet. I mean, I don't get super deep on there, but they, they know who I am. They know the type of person I am. If I am all, all of a sudden talking about playing League of Legends every morning, they're going to know I don't do that. And so, so when you say knowing your value, yeah, how do you determine that? Is that socialbluebook.com? Is Man. that who's the highest bidder? Like how, how do you determine your value? <laughs> yeah. Social blue book has been really helpful. I think it's a great, it's a great, um, I don't know, kind of baseline 
to work off of. So that's very helpful. It, I mean, the reality is that there's no rule book for this and that's really hard. And I think that it's really beneficial to a lot of the companies that there is no rule book and that somebody that could be doing the same thing as me, they could be paying way less or way more and we would never know that. So I think just what I feel like I'm comfortable with based on past experience with brands. I think you always go through a time where you ask for too little or you ask for too much, something slips away and you're never going to get that again. Or you do something and you over deliver and you're like, man, that was good. Like I should have been paid way more than that. Or you learn about what other people are making, you know? It's no, just what, all... what, what do you mean you learn about what other people are making? Like other, other influencers or content creators, whatever you want to call them. When you talk about it and you realize that some people are being way underpaid, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. like we, we've had discussions, so let's, let's just go into it. So sure. the, the way that I look at it, and again, this is just recapping everybody listening. Mm -hmm. I prefer to be paid less per video for the tiny home tours team for a year long contract. Mm -hmm. Lock it in, just as like you said, something that's high value, it's a good company, they have a good reputation, I'm more than willing to cut the price on that if they're willing to sign a contract. Mm -hmm. Where when I told you the figure, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So how how does that thought process work for you when you actually talk to people? Do you, do you just kind of be quiet and you're just kind of like, oh, okay. Or is it depending on who the person is and how much you know them? When I'm talking to other content creators? Yeah, like, say, you're say everybody's... You're the first person... I think you're the first person that I've, I've ever spoken up. It was, it was that low, huh? Yeah, it was! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe my friend Sam, we've had some conversations, but we're also very different in what we do and how we, you know, how we... I almost said how we show up online, but... Yeah. Well, earlier today, we, we, <laughs> I asked you, what exactly do you yeah, mean by showing up yeah, online? Okay. Like, because everybody says that in podcasts, and I'm always sitting yeah, there scratching yeah. so my I'm head like, what? It. Okay, anyway. We're different, so I don't really get into the nitty-gritty with her. But, yeah, you'd be the first person that I, I have been like, wait a second. Well, what I made the point about? that we're different, too, because yeah. you're the face of the brand. Yes. Where with Tiny Home Tours, I don't want a face on there for long-term business reasons, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's different. It is. Where again, going back to the audience, people listening to this, they are considering this, your 70,000, cause on YouTube, Tiny Home Tours has 940,000 subscribers at this point. Mm -hmm. Like your 70,000 of engaged people that know who you are, they're there to watch you is completely different than our 940,000 that's there to watch other people's rigs. Yeah. So that's fundamentally different. So when you become a micro brand, mm -hmm. not, not your micro, but people with three or 4,000 subscribers are very powerful to certain brands that they have an engaged audience because they can be so targeted on that particular person. And there's the article. Um, it's very popular. Everybody references it on podcasts. <clears throat> Thousand true fans by Kevin Kelly. Have you, We've, I'm sure we've, we've, we've talked about yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, if you have a thousand engaged followers and they pay you a hundred dollars a year, that's a hundred thousand dollars. That's six figures. 
you know, and that's courses, eBooks, Patreon, people clicking on your videos and watching the ads and not suggesting you do that because it's YouTube policies, but people that do that, you know, it's just the small things start mm-hmm. to add up over time. For sure. Then you have those hundred or those thousand true fans, it adds up. Well, that's interesting too, because when I was, you know, with the business prior to the social media stuff, my business coach was like, nobody cares how many followers you have. Like, we're not trying to gain your following. You're trying to gain the trust of, you know, sure, you have a thousand followers right now. Gain the trust of three of those. Boom. You have three clients in three months. You're making X amount of money. It's just gaining trust and it doesn't really matter, you know, the numbers at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, in though, in that sense, you know. Yeah, I'm like we talked about this morning actually. Like, I am not a fan of Instagram because the actual business ROI of that for us, other than messaging um, people and you know finding people to tour, um, there really isn't much there. Like, you pay money for fake little hearts online to look good. Like, the followers on there, I don't think really matter at all because Instagram throttles it. You know, like. And if, if you have that mindset of the actual, like if you're just trying to get likes, just realizing those are electronic, fake little hearts mm-hmm. that have a profound effect on your dopamine of your brain. Mm-hmm. And if you're able to realize that and understand the game that they're playing, you start to realize that it's more about, like you said, connecting with those people, depending on your business, right. like three clients for, you know, personal training and that type of business is very huge. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially high ticket stuff, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, when it comes down to the platforms mm-hmm. that you utilize, where are you at in terms of the amount of time spent? You know, and let's let, let's go from the very beginning because we're talking filming, we're talking editing, we're talking planning. Where does your time go to? And how many hours per day on average, and we're all guesstimating here, like rough estimates, what does your workload actually look like and where do you spend time on those platforms? Like your your actual working time. Because being on the road, being an influencer, doing that, you know, it's it's cool making the money from the platforms and building an audience, but you also need time to actually be out here and enjoy it and enjoy the lifestyle. You don't want the golden handcuffs, right? Mm-hmm. So for your experience, I'd love to know what that looks like for you. That's a really big question. Mm-hmm. You asked 20 questions within that one question. It's okay. So, I'll just, so I'll just si- run with it. <laughs> si- simply put, like, where does your yeah. time go in all this content creation? And how many hours do you think you have into it? Um, a, an a- Are you allowed to swear on this part? A ton ton of hours (laughs) a ton of hours I mean I think that when I was doing the build obviously I was still working I was taking on clients so that I could fund my build so I was taking on clients and then I mean every single day I was working on the van and filming so that you know the filming part of it essentially is a part of the work so I would spend I felt like I spent every waking hour (laughs) working on the van, although that probably is not the truth. But most of my time that I wasn't meeting with clients, I was working on the van or planning the build or editing. And at the beginning, when you first learn how to edit, man, everything takes so long. Yes, it does. Because you don't know anything. You overshoot, which I know you always say you can never have too much footage. 
I disagree. Well, it's different for vlog and putting together a yeah. band tour. Yeah, and then that's true. Posting to six platforms. That's true. We're we're just we're just a different we're we're in the <laughs> yeah, same we world but it's so drastically different. That's why I think this conversation would be intriguing because it's the mm-hmm. it's like stuffed. We're we're talking about stuffed animals, but I'm talking about beanie babies, and you're talking about cabbage patch kids. Oh, I want to be talking about beanie babies. Okay, you're beanie babies. Yeah, yeah. I will be Pokemon plush <laughs> figures. Okay. Okay. Actually, it's probably the opposite because beanie babies is big and wide. Pokemon figures are very that's true niche. Everybody knows Pikachu. Some people might know about the green bear or the, you know, <laughs> maybe. Anyways, tangent. Anyways, yeah. So, a lot of time. But I think, hmm, maybe what's different about my setup is, so right now I'm just vlogging. I have a build coming up in the spring with my brother, but outside of that, I just vlog now. So... A typical week for me, really I work every single day, I guess, now that I think about it, but um, I'll spend like the first three or four days filming, and I don't edit those days. I try not to. For one video? For one video. And how many hours would you say you're actually filming, like, and let's, let's, let's wrap that up into planning, into thinking about what you're going to film, putting the story together, if you do that, mm-hmm. how many hours a day that you're planning your, your shoot? I don't plan anymore. I don't plan a thing. So you just grab the camera and record <laughs> I grab whatever? grab the camera and I record whatever I'm doing. And if I feel like I'm boring, then that's an awesome incentive for me to go and do something really cool. So, for instance, last week, so the, like the vlog that's coming out, um, the vlog that's coming out this, this Sunday, I was just at a spot where I've spent a lot of time lately. It was on the edge of a city and I, um, I was doing a lot of work and editing and I was like, man, I need to like do something. Like I need to move my body. I need to go and do some sort of adventure. And it ended up being one of the best things I could do for my mental health and for my physical health and I just feel lucky that the camera was the reason that I went and did that. And so that beautiful moment of me just living and doing something that I I want to do, I get to do that for work, sort of. Also doing it filming. Um, so I would say like days like that, I spent maybe three hours filming. Not three hours with the camera on, but three hours placing the camera, you know, finding my angles, running back to grab the camera, all that stuff, which I find really fun. So about three hours a day of filming while you're filming, which leaves plenty of hours throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And again, I just kind of want to get the reality of this, this lifestyle and how it all really ties together. So what are you doing with the remainder of the day? Well, I take photos for thumbnails and for Instagram. But that counts as work though, right? Yeah. Well, I just said filming though. I just do like three hours of filming. And then on top of that, I'll take photos if I feel inspired to. Um, sometimes I just sit and think about things that I'd want to share with my audience. 
not not in YouTube, but as far as like written content for Instagram. Um, <clears throat> I answer a lot of emails. Emails like brand emails or family yeah, emails. No or... brand. I would say brand emails or. Um, I don't know what. I feel like I've been emailing so much lately. I don't even know. Yeah, getting things shipped for, for for content or whatever, like physical product. Um, yeah, I don't know. Would you say it's like an eight-hour workday? Man, I don't know because I work such weird hours, and and I w- I wake up and I start work immediately because that's what feels good for me, and I think that. I guess I make TikToks too, but that's more fun. So I don't know if I would consider that work. I think so. Yeah, I think so. But it doesn't really feel like that. Feels like at you're times. Playing. Well, I think the first part of the week for me usually feels like I'm playing and being really creative with my camera. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm like just busting my ass. Do you get days off? No, I know. Does it feel like you have no days off? Like for for me, I work every day. Yeah. But every day, I feel like I'm playing. Yeah. I if I really feel like I need a day off, I will take a day off. But I enjoy. I don't. I really enjoy what I do, and so. Like I'm just thinking about Saturday, when I was up in the mountains watching the sunrise with my coffee. I was working. I was filming and figuring out what I wanted my story to be kind of as far as my vlog goes, but it didn't feel like I was working. And so there are moments where I, I really don't feel like I'm working and it does feel like play. But then the days that it is really hard work, that also feels great because I love working really hard and then seeing what I've produced and how people respond to it. So I know that you've been working on an edit that's been looming <clears throat> that you had to get done. You mean the one that I'm just uploading? Yeah. Yeah. Like, just, just finished. Um, so pretty much your day-to-day from the time you woke up to just right now, and mm-hmm. if you count this as work, you haven't stopped working since, like, 5 a.m. Yeah. And it's 4.40. Yeah. <laughs> at any point... <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. At any point, did you feel like, oh, this sucks, I don't want to do it, or is it like, okay, goal's coming up, like... I'm, I'm working towards something here. Cause that, that's the way that I felt when I was building mm-hmm. the channels early on, like driving two hours, doing a tour, driving another four hours, doing a tour, yeah. sleeping on the side of the highway, waking up, doing one first thing in the morning. It didn't feel like there, at no point, like, like I said, my, my internship was the worst experience of my life mm-hmm. working a nine to five. At no point did I ever feel like, you know, 10 in the morning working that engineering job with my coffee feeling like, okay, I I can do this today. That level of okay at that internship is so much lower than like busting my ass going from tour to tour being brain dead. It's Mm -hmm. it's like not even the same spectrum. Yeah. Is it kind of like that for you or is it not, not so much like when, when things stack up and you're working 12 hours a day for this? Well, I work 12 hours a day because I want to. It's not because I feel like I have to. It's not because somebody's telling me that I have to. Um, and I think, so 
I guess there may there might be a little bit of a difference there because when you're talking about how you built the channel and everything, like you were hardcore just like grinding it out. Like you said, sleeping on the side of the road, waking up, doing so many, you're exhausted at the end of the day. I don't feel that right now, but that's because I've done that and I don't want to do that anymore. So my goals feel really different now. It's not necessarily like monetary for me or numbers based, but it's work-life balance and, and the, the creative side of it. So like today, I didn't want to stop doing my video because I know how good it feels when I have a finished product that I love and that I'm super proud of. And I'm like, oh, I know these people are going to love, like, they're going to, they're going to love this part of it or whatever. Um, but as far as like me dreading, you know, your question of like, was, was there any point in time when you didn't want to be doing it? I think for me, something that I've noticed <clears throat> when editing, let's say editing a project, the creative flow is always the same where I hate, I hate it at first. I get everything in my timeline and I'm like, this is the worst fucking video that's going to be published. I hate it. Like, I don't even want to do this anymore. I'm just going to scrap this whole thing and refilm. And then it's like these like mini challenges within a giant challenge. I'm like, okay, you know that this is going to pass. Just like get through that creative hump, you know? And then I get everything put together. And then the moment right before I do my final pass through to like fix audio, do the final editing, hate the video. I hate it every time. And so I, I, remember today in the van where I was like, dang it, I hate this. I just want to stop. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to do something. But it's like the more you train yourself, I think it has a lot to do with delayed gratification as well. But training yourself to just like get over those, those creative lulls, <clears throat> it's like the best feeling ever. When you just recognize like, okay, I know this is just, it's not going to last. I'm going to love this video at the end. Just have to put in like another hour of work and it'll be great. So, so I love that that challenge. Where do you think that, uh, that drive comes from? Like overall, I'm, I'm just thinking of the average person, quote average, that's thinking about this and doing this. Cause everything you're saying, I'm like, yeah, I, I get that. Like I'm, I'm the same way. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, okay, I'm about to do this tour. I've already done three today. <laughs> it's time to do another one. And then once I get the camera set up and we get the my spiel over of like how it works and what we're going to do. And they start talking about the rig and I see it. Then I'm back in that flow. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, this, this is cool. Like I, this, this is my job. Mm -hmm. This is really cool. I'm able to do this. Um, I never thought about that, where that drive comes from. Like I mentioned to you, I, I like the game of everything. The monetary is not important to me either. And the way I look at it is the monetary is just a measure of how well I'm playing the game. Yeah. And we, we talked about that this morning as well. So when it comes to your drive for that, you said it's not monetary. Mm -mm. Is it like you pushing yourself? Do you think there's some athleticism because you played college basketball? Do you think it's that <laughs> inherent push that you've developed over the years? Do you think that it's you're building something big in connection with the audience? Like what keeps you in your van working on the video instead of walking out here in this beautiful Arizona scenery I think that there's a lot that goes into that I think sure athletics 
I think the content that I choose to consume as well has a lot mean? to do with it. Like, a lot of you set yourself to a certain standard because you watch certain people that... No. Actually, no. I don't watch people. I don't I don't watch content on social... Or I, like, I don't watch YouTube. What about hunting I stuff? Really love... I'll watch hunting stuff, sure, but that's not... I'm not watching another female van life or vlog every week. You know what I mean? So I'm not comparing myself to other people. Right, but I'm, I'm not necessarily meaning other people in your niche. Yeah. I'm saying, like, you watch a hunting video and they have this amazing angle and they did something with yeah. their depth of field and you're like, ooh, I want to do that with my vlog. Yeah. I want to try that and get my standard up to where mm-hmm. they are. I, I, I didn't mean same, same gotcha. niche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean consuming content in general. That Yes. You, you, know, you know what I mean? I do. As far as content, I was talking more about the books I read, the podcasts I listen to, that kind of stuff. A lot of it is toughness and, you know... I don't know. Mindset, mental toughness, that kind of stuff. Do you feel as though if somebody's wanting to play this game, they're going to need that for the long haul? Because I always tell people, Mm. you know, a lot of people ask me about YouTube and getting started and everything. And I always tell them, don't do it unless it's something that you're actually interested in. Because there's going to come a time, just like you mentioned today, where it's not necessarily the worst thing that you're doing. But you're going to have to have some drive. You're going to have to have some mm-hmm. reason to do it other than the monetary or getting the fake hearts on Instagram. Like, you have to really want to do it. Because mm-hmm. there's going to be plenty of times as people start channels, they're not necessarily getting the traction they want, and they just give up. Yeah. You know? Because I always say, like, it's it's definitely a marathon doing this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that, well, I also think, so I agree, and I think that the starting part is just really hard for a lot of people. I think one of the things that I was kind of running through my head was the experience that I've had with people who really want to do this, but they're so scared of judgment, and they're so scared of what their friends and family will think of them, and there's a level of, like, you you cannot care you cannot care what people think of you. You just have to put yourself out there, and that's very scary. I mean, it was scary for me. I just don't I just don't know that I care enough. So I definitely want to dive into the negative parts. I always tell people YouTube is the cesspool of human communication because yeah. anybody can start multiple accounts, and there's been people that were rumored to have a secondary account. account. Well, actually, celebrities got caught with this, where they had a secondary account where they were talking trash, about them to get people to defend them for more engagement. So their their fans would come on and like argue with this this avatar because on YouTube you can start a new account very yeah. easily. New Gmail account, you have some stupid name, yeah. you're able to post on there. Where with like Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, well not so much TikTok, but Facebook and Instagram, if you're building up an account then you don't want to ruin that account because it's tied actually to you. Mm-hmm. Where with YouTube, you can go on and create some f- fake account and talk whatever trash you want. So YouTube's always a little bit tricky Yeah. Um, in terms of comments. And I mention that to people that I film with. Like, like if they message me and they're like, man, these comments are kind of interesting. I'm like, yeah, because YouTube's the worst. Um, definitely want to get into how you, how you, you know, kind of navigate that. But that kind of ties into the question of going deep 
on YouTube <laughs> to where you're, you know, we, we've all seen the people that are like, it seems like they're fake crying on the camera Yeah. for that whole thing. You yeah. know, they're, they're, they're playing that game. Um, how do you wrap your head around going deep as you're sitting out in the middle of the forest or the desert mm-hmm. and you're getting deep, but you're sitting there talking to a camera, you're looking at the lens of the camera, you know, eventually it's going to go out, but how do you wrap your head around that? And how do you draw the line? How do you draw the boundaries on how deep you're going to go? Because people will get to know you. They want to mm-hmm. know more about you. How does that manifest for you? Well, I think that as far as the like going deep part, I don't share I don't share a lot of details of anything. And I'm very careful with what I show on my vlogs as far as like hmm. Maybe maybe rather than me going deep I just show my authentic life and authentically what I'm doing. Maybe it's not that I'm really deep about everything, but I'm just who I am in that moment without curating it or making it less or more than what it is. And maybe for me that feels like like that's what people are connecting to. I mean, I'm not sitting on YouTube being like, you know, sharing my deepest, darkest secrets and who I'm seeing and how, how my shit is affecting me. I just share that's these. That's for Aquila. That you tell your, your pup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know that it's so much about going deep, but just being like, this is just authentically how I'm living. And I think that unfortunately there's not a whole lot of that really on YouTube. And Yeah. I know you mentioned that like YouTube's the worst as far as hate comments and stuff, and I'm really lucky with the community that I have. And I don't get much right now because my community is so strong. I yeah, think. yeah. They kind of stick up for you in comments because there, there, there's always, at least in my experience, there's always the the one off and the and we'll we'll dive into the the negative comments because luckily for me that never really affectedly affected me negatively Mm -hmm. if anything it's kind of fired me up like yeah up above my computer is a guy basically said he can't wait to see me crash and burn so yeah how you're talking about not walking and finishing your edit i'm on my imac editing a video and i'm just like i'm done for the day just gotta look up there yeah and i'm like okay here we go i got another hour at least like we we got this but i've been very blessed in that it's more fuel for the fire but one thing (laughs) i've definitely learned <clears throat> and a lot of people mention this people that leave negative random anonymous comments online it's like hurt people hurt people yeah so if you're living in an existence where you spend your time time you're never going to get back to tear other people down online that you really don't know or even if you do know them like why spend time on them you know so that's kind of the mindset that i have with it yeah. and so far you really haven't experienced too much of that <clears throat> i have experienced it I have not experienced it to the extent of others. Um, I think, like, we've, we know that we're very different as far as the emotional way that we move through life. You're talking I about think, you and me? Yes. And I think that that's a beautiful thing that you can look at a hate comment 
and be like, yeah, that fires me up. I'm just going to like work so hard. And I think depending on the comment that can do it for me, but it really does affect me like in a negative way. Hate like, comments too. Like what, what, what does that look like? Is it self-talk with yourself? Is it like, is this person right? Is it like there's negativity here? Like, why am I doing this? Like, how does that actually hmm. like you, you have your feelings, which is hard to communicate, but how does that actually show up in the real world? Like, how do I respond to a hate comment? No, 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 no. Like, not, not respond, but how, how does it affect your future actions? Like, does, does it affect the way you do things? Does it change the way that you're viewing being online? Like, how, mm-hmm. how does it actually affect the real world? Like, your real, real world? Yeah. Um, I think I've felt it in a few different ways. Um... There are, there are moments where I question why I'm doing what I'm doing with hate comments, you know, if I'm like, oh man, and yeah, so if I receive a really nasty hate comment, I I will shut down for a few days. I won't post or I won't film and I'll just process and figure it out because I know that it's a, it it will pass that like really deep hurt will pass. But I think what came to my mind when you asked how does it actually affect your real life, um, when I was visiting home last, let's see, a few months ago, six months ago, um, I had bought my bow, and this whole last year and previous to that, I had been learning about bow hunting and really wanting to do that, and I know that it's very controversial. And I remember telling my mom on a car ride back from a park or something. And I was like, man, it just sucks that I feel like I have to hide this part of my life. Like I, I'm really passionate about learning about this thing. And I want to get to the point where I'm like traveling in the van and, and, um, you know, stopping intentionally in Colorado for an elk hunt. But that's going to be like two weeks where I can't film, which really sucks. I I, want to share this with people. And she's like, are you really going to let social media dictate what you're doing with your life? And I was like, man, Okay. Yeah, you're right. And then I just kind of forgot about that, you know, and just did it anyway and talked about it online anyway. And there was a lot of hate from, for it at first. And then it passed once you kind of weed out those people that are not even open to understanding or open to learning new things or hearing others' perspectives. And yeah. So that's how it's affected me. That's intriguing. <clears throat> Many reasons, but. You know, as you develop and continue this journey, I think those niches of you doing that mm-hmm. stuff, being true and authentic to yourself, is what actually translates into the long-term success. Yeah, I agree. Because basically, the, the way I look at it, people tell me I'm doing something wrong or it's not right. It's like put, It's like bowling, and they're the gutter guards in the kids lane trying to keep you with, with within yeah. spec where when you get outside of those lines and do your own thing and realize point a is being tossed as the bowling ball point B is hitting the pins and you're dead. People are just trying to keep you within lines and try and keep you within that game. Cause it's the game they're playing mm-hmm. where when you get outside of that, it's like, Oh, that's, that's not right. That's, that's not within my rules. So 
it seems as though to find true success and <laughs> actually be happy with what you're doing, you have to go outside those lines. Mm-hmm. Life totally is lived agree. on the edges. Absolutely. So that's, that's kind of the way that I've always looked at it. Like, okay, so you're saying it's not right. Does that mean because it's not within your spec? Well, it's within my spec and that's all I know. So I'm going to keep doing Mm it. Yeah. And so far it's worked. Yeah, for sure. It even makes me think about some of the comments. I wouldn't necessarily call them hate comments, but like the things that I do that aren't super outside of those lines or whatever, but like the fact that my kind of signature thing is a flannel and baseball hat, <laughs> you know, and, and there are people that will comment and be like, I'd really love for you to wear your hair down more. I'd really love for you to curl your hair or wear my makeup or whatever. It'd be nice if you dressed up every now and then. And it's like, man, like, no, <laughs> you know, and it's like these crazy expectations, maybe in that solo female van life world. I don't know. Hashtag. Sorry. Hashtag solo female van life. <laughs> That, you know, and maybe that's why this is working for me. I don't know. I think it is. I yeah. I I think it is. Like, people don't watch week after week to watch the same stuff over and over. They they want to connect with people that are doing something that they wish they could do. Yeah. Right? So you'll you'll find your niche, find your thousand true fans, which you already have, times 70. Um, (laughs) On the long tail of what you're doing. Is this a foreseeable future thing for you? Do you see, and I'm not even talking about the van. I just like this, this content creation sharing with people. Is this a long tail? Is this something that speaks to your soul? If you will, is it something that, you know, gives you, gives you fire, gives you, you know, motivation? Like where, where are you at on the long tail of this now that you've been in the game for a little bit? I, will do this as long as it makes sense for me to. That's kind of what I've always said and talked to my family about. Um, I mean, does that mean enjoy? Is it financial? Like what, what, what what does that mean? So not financially. What I'm talking more about is if I can do like mental health wise, if this turns into something where, I mean, it's happened in the past with people where they're very severely bullied online or whatever. And if that were to ever happen, I'm out. I'm done. It's it's not worth my my mental health or anything. Um, But ideally, I would like to do this forever. Well, that makes more sense with the fear of hunting. Because your mom said... Because there's a tinge of something there that I was going to mention, but I didn't. When your mom said, are you going to let social media control your life? Mm-hmm. But you're the brand that's on social media. And if it gets too negative for you, you know internally that you're going to be out. Yeah. So I can totally see why that would be hard for you. Like when you phrase it like social media control your life. No, but it's like if social media is what's allowing you to live the life you want to live, then you're putting it out there. But I, I'm still on the team of, yeah, do that because you're going to niche down and you're going to find your audience yeah. that digs that even more and For sure. really be the true fans. But I, I think there there is a caveat there that should be mentioned is, you know, mental health is obviously step number one, but you do have to, you just have to walk that line mm-hmm. almost like being a little bit careful. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I guess going back to the community piece... I feel really lucky that at this, I mean, at this stage with, 
I know you said, oh, only 70,000, but it only grows from here. I said, I didn't say only 70,000. I said, you have a thousand true fans times 70,000. I know. But what I'm, what I'm saying is like, to me, you're like, whoa, that's like pretty, that's like pretty significant to me. I'm like, yeah. And it's only going to grow. And I know that. And right now it doesn't feel very significant to me. How, how long have you been doing this? <laughs> About a year and a half. You know how long it took me to get 70,000? <laughs> I know. I know. So I'm on so, club. Real I know. quick. I'm on Clubhouse a lot, and I go into YouTube rooms, and I've been doing it for a while, so I help out there. There are people on there saying, I only have 5,000 subscribers in four months. What am I doing wrong? I'm like, dude, it took me three years yeah. to get that. Can you imagine seventy? how long it took me to get 70,000? Yeah. I Yes. I hear that. You're killing it. I am very grateful. <laughs> I am very grateful. But I think that my community is the main reason why I want to do this forever. Like, going to Gutted and having a large part of my community there that I've never met in person and being able to meet them and having messages about, you know, different things that I've either helped somebody do or inspired somebody to do. Like, that is what makes me want to continue to show my life in this raw way. That's why I want to do it forever. Ideally. If it all goes well. Magic Wand, five years from now. Still doing the same thing? Yeah. Yeah. Still bouncing around in the van? Mm, five years from now, it'd be nice to have a partner. Five years from now, we'll be, yeah, 30s. Maybe bounce around with somebody else. Okay. Solid goal. Maybe in the van, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know, but I don't really make plans anymore. <laughs> Good spot to end it. If somebody wanted to keep up with you, check out your YouTube, mm -hmm. check out your videos, where can they find you? Linnea and Aquila. So that'll be linked because <laughs> yeah. that is a lot of spelling that I know I couldn't do. And I'm Linnea. Aquila's the dog. People get that mixed up. Why is that? I don't know. Sometimes people call me Aquila. Oh, you mean... They get it mixed up. The the name. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I, I got they you. They think I'm Aquila and that she's Linnea. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks for talking today. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> this episode has been a Tiny Home Tours production. If you're a fan, please rate and review us wherever you listen, share with your friends, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.